Amen. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning, Willow Part 33. It's uh, an honor and privilege to be here with you all. Um, when Phil told me he was going on sabbatical, he sat down and he said, there's just a, just a gap, Tracy, in my uh, preaching rotor. I said, oh, really, Phil? And he said, yeah, what are you doing on these dates? I was kind of like, I should have got there before, before him, but uh, yeah, he's booked me in, so here I am. So um, I just want to introduce myself. As Steve said, I'm the, the counsellor here. I've been here for about five years now. Um, and really, I counsel and pick up cases allocated by the pastors. And I deal with cases that just require a little bit more. They're a little bit more in depth and, and just need, need that uh, skill base, really. I also work with uh, pastors throughout the community. Um, again, if they're struggling with cases, I'll pick them up for them too. Um, as well as that, I actually uh, run a, a counseling service for pastors, for priests, and for missionaries, both within BC, throughout Canada, and throughout the world. Um, part of uh, my, my role with them is to prepare people going out on missions trips and to also debrief them when they come home. Uh, and obviously, you know, with the variety of places that people go to, um, some, of the, uh, some of the debriefing is, is really de debriefing trauma and pretty tricky stuff that these people have witnessed and worked through. So again, it's just such an honor and a privilege to do that. Um, I also work as a part-time professor at the university, and um, again, I've had the privilege to use Willow Park as my base to train people who are taking their master's in counselling, which has been a wonderful thing, and I, and I do thank Phil and uh, the board and the leadership for allowing me to do that. Now, prior to being here, I was um, at Cambridge University um, for 15 years, actually, and I'm starting to make myself feel a little bit old. It's a bit scary when you start adding up all the years. But whilst at Cambridge, um, I had, again, the honor of um, training priests, uh, well, training people for ordained ministry within the Church of England. Um, every year, I would have allocated to me 15 students um, my role really was to train them and teach them in pastoral care, as well as monitor their overall spiritual formation, development, educational attainment, and also to see how they actually related to people in community and preached. So it's a really varied role, but just such a wonderful opportunity to look and see how the Lord worked. So now here I am here. We moved here from England, and yet yeah, I'm really sorry you've got another English accent to listen to. <laughs> Does it ever feel like we're taking over this place? I know, I know in the, um, when we have our staff meetings each week, you know, we'll crack the jokes and crack the humor, and you know, everyone's starting to, to understand now this British sense of humor, so it's a bit scary. <laughs> but no, it is lovely to be here. So we've been here for about five and a half years. My husband um, is a doctor in the valley, and we have two, sorry, three amazing children. I nearly left one out. I know, it's because he's on camp. He's actually leading on a youth camp this week, so he's just gone off again. <laughs> but two are here. <laughs> okay. So, um, thank you to our, our worship uh, band this morning. Beautiful, beautiful songs that really, really link into what I'm going to be sharing with you here today. 
Um, Phil asked me to share a psalm. He said, you can share any psalm. So that was exciting. He, he let me have a free hand. So I sat down, really prayed about what the Lord wanted me to share with you today. <clears throat> Excuse me. So two psalms, well, three psalms came to mind. Psalm 139, which I absolutely love. Um, psalm 90 and Psalm 91. But I'm going to focus in on Psalm 91. It's a beautiful psalm that, again, talks about the loving encounter, the loving embrace of the Lord's arms as a truly loving father. So I'd invite you now to turn to your uh, Bibles and um, just find Psalm 91. I do have it on the screen for you there. And I'm going to read this through for you. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you from his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear from the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, said the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. What a beautiful psalm that is. A beautiful psalm. I love the psalms. They're they're a place where you can go to, especially when you're struggling. There's two parts of this psalm that really are my favorites, and it's the first line, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under your, his wings you will find refuge. That is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture to sit in, especially when you're hurting or going through a storm or going through a hard time. And I know in our church community, uh, we have two families that are going through significant grief. And I just want to highlight and illustrate that to you members of that family that the Lord has you and his wings are over you.
So I want us to focus now on this psalm, and I want us to focus on the word dwelling in the Lord. Again, when I was praying over the psalm, I really felt the Lord was saying, Tracy, just teach them and remind them to dwell in me. So what does it mean to dwell in the Lord? It kind of made me laugh to myself when the first thing I kind of read was a little bit of Hebrew in the translation of dwell. Because it kind of, it's it's like the Lord was speaking to me and saying, okay, start here. And it was, what does it mean? In Hebrew, it means yasham, to sit down and remain. Well, my personality, if you know me, you know I'm busy, busy, busy. I don't stop. It's almost a little bit ADD. You know, I'm all over the place. To sit and remain is probably really important for me to hear. And I think we all need to hear that, really. To sit and be in the presence of the Lord is something we don't always do so well. We live in a culture, certainly in the Western world, that is so, so busy. It's frenetic. And it's kind of ironic, really, because, you know, we have many things now with technology that are created to save us time. Yet we fill that space, don't we, with other things. And I know in my practice, not only do I have pastors and priests and missionaries and all sorts of people, I have children that are referred to me sometimes. And there's a growing trend of anxiety and pressure amongst young people. You know where I'm having kids of eight, nine, refer to me with anxiety and depression. So they can't cope. What's going on? It's kind of like, do we live in a culture where we have so much going on, so much overload, it's creating this negativity. And we're kind of missing the point. So to dwell is vitally important, especially for us as Christians. To go and sit with the Lord, to go and be with the Lord. It means to commune with the Lord. When we go and do that, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is, you know, we go and pray intentionally. We go and um, sit and listen to the Lord. When, when I say we pray, we can pray, we can, we can use worship to commune with the Lord. Obviously, reading the scriptures is vitally important because that gives us our guide. Okay, so we submerge ourselves. The Lord's heart is, the Father's heart is big. He has time for all of us, every single one of us. It's amazing, really. I sometimes sit there when I've been counseling people and when I'm praying for them, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how you do this. This is just phenomenal because I can only take so much as a counselor. But he has time and space. He wants you to be intentional with him. He loves you, just as a good father loves his child. You may have a negative, through your own experience of having um, a, a, an earthly father, it may not have been a good experience. That's something you need to work on. But the, the relationship he wants to have with you is very intimate. He loves you dearly. The Father's arms are open wide. We just sang that in our songs. It's beautiful. So when we do spend this time to go and dwell and be with the Lord, 
And I don't want to box that up. You know, like I said, it can be anything. It can be that you're going for a walk in the beautiful countryside. And you just spend time with him. You can feel him. You feel that presence. Something amazing happens when you spend time in that, that space. The more we do it, the more we learn about the Lord. Spiritually, something happens. A transformation takes place, actually. I saw this when I worked in the theological college at Cambridge University. You watched how people changed, how the Lord molded them, how he changed them, how he healed them, how he redeemed them and restored them. I certainly see that in my faith-based counseling ministry. What makes it so special? It's not really me. I do my clinical piece, but I really listen to the Lord. And when I step aside, I bow my head, and the Lord comes in. It's beautiful. And there's a power, there's something special that happens there. There's a transformation, as I said, in people's thoughts and their hearts. There's a renewing that takes place. And that transfers into them becoming more holy. And there's a reverence that comes. And that's really then what enables us to be in the world, but not of the world which is what our faith is all about. Now, I know that people go through different situations, through difficult situations. Bad things happen. Where is the Lord in that? He is right here. He is right there with you. And I want to encourage you in that. And when you're going through difficult things... Be intentional. Fall into the Lord's arms. We have a habit sometimes of turning away, of putting our head down. And he's saying, lift up your head. Go and be with him in that moment. And he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I have worked with missionaries that have seen horrendous things post-ISIS. Some of my work that I've been doing. They've seen horrendous things. And how do they come through it? If you sit down with them, they will all say they experienced the Lord in a mighty, mighty way through the peace that carried them through and has enabled them to recover. In James 4, 8, it says, um, James for eight, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Again, that talks about us being intentional with the Lord, inviting him in. You know, the beautiful thing about the Lord is he is a gentleman. He will never push in, but he'll always wait. He works at perfect pace. And flipping back to Paul's advice in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he teaches us to pray without ceasing. And there's two aspects to that. To pray without ceasing, again, means to be intentional with the Lord. Go to him. He wants to hear you. He wants to hear about your day. He wants to hear about the good things and the bad things, the tough things. It's also very, very important for us as a church body and a church family to be intentional in our prayer for others around us, to contend when we pray, contend for others. 
And when we contend for others, what does that mean? It means if you look it up, it means to pray with conviction. So if your life is going well, that's great. But don't forget to pray for those around you. And don't be afraid to pray and contend for those around you. Because the Lord is hearing. He's listening. He's a good, good father. So I now want to share with you um, my experience of the Lord, um, a very real experience that really turned my, um, turned my head to the Christian faith. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family, sadly. And um, when I was very young, my, my family actually fell apart. I ended up living in foster care, um, which was good and bad. It was hard. I missed my family. It was, it was a, a big struggle. Um, my only exposure to Christianity really was through um, a holiday camp that, I, that, that I'd been on through a PE teacher at school. Now, I was Mrs. Sporty, so it was actually the sport that attracted me, not the Christianity. I thought that was kind of weird. But anyway, I went on this holiday camp, and um, you know what? I was focused on that sport, but what turned my head was just this love that I could not understand. It was like this, this love that had turned my head. And I remember going home from that holiday camp thinking, hmm, it's just something. And I kind of like really battled with, with the faith aspects. My PE teacher was in school. She'd invite me to things. I'd be like, who knew? <laughs> you know, I was one of those kids, a bit of a toughie. And then, and then as I said, my family felt a bit and uh, was pretty vulnerable. I had to work through a lot of things. And then um, I can remember thinking to myself, you know, how am I going to get out of this hole that I'm in with my family, uh, with my experience? So I um, really sat there and decided, pretty much decided that university would be the way to go, would be the way out. I kind of figured that one out myself. And so that's what I did. I went to university. Now, during my... um, Summer before I went to university, I worked as a beach lifeguard um, in a place called Blackpool, which isn't really Baywatch. <laughs> and it was really funny because my family all came with me on holiday this summer. We, we went over to England for three weeks, and I showed them where I'd done my rescue. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's still the ocean, um, but it's definitely not <laughs> Baywatch. So anyway, I'm just going to flip this over. So I was a beach lifeguard. I was patrolling on this stretch of water this one summer, and um, it was a very nasty day. There was a gale force wind blowing. Um, I was 20 years old, and um, my husband, who likes facts and statistics because he's a doctor, said, you've got to give the facts. So I'm going to give you the facts. Um, It was a gale force nine wind blowing that day, Um, 52 miles per hour, so that's 45 knots just for those who know. And the sea was rolling and foaming. Okay, it was a nasty, nasty day. And the wave depth would have been between 23 and 32 feet. Okay. I worked with the lifeboats and I worked with the helicopters. um, And we were all linked together as part of a service. Okay. Now, as I was patrolling that day, I patrolled normally about a mile strip um, of shore. Um... I heard uh, sirens going, and um, basically what had happened was that a young uh, girl, she was 16 years old, so not too different to my age, had jumped in off the end of the pier. 
she tried to commit suicide. Now, I didn't know that. I just knew that there was a casualty in the water. Now, I'm going to show you um, what the waves looked like that day. So this is the promenade with the waves blowing up. Obviously, you can see it's a pretty, pretty nasty. You wouldn't really want to be going in there. And this poor girl had jumped off. This is what's called the parapet, which was very near to the pier where she jumped off. Um, and obviously, you know, going into any part of this water, the currents are so strong, it's very dangerous. And these are just the pictures that were taken. And that's the pier. And so this is the, um, the pier that she jumped off. And so I want to explain to you what happened to me during this rescue. Okay, so I was actually stood right here, so as if the pier was there. And, um, and I remember running down onto the beach, and we all ha were on a radio system that day. And um, I went to radio up to my, to my base. There were about... There were quite a few of us that were, there was 14 lifeguards that day. And um, I radioed up, my radio wasn't working. I do not know why, but it wasn't working. So ditched the radio, and then as I'm on the beach, obviously all the emergency st services start to arrive, and there's a big kerfuffle. And I remember running down to the shoreline, and this police officer ran and stand ne stood next to me. I think he was a chief inspector, very high up. And as we were looking, he said to me, I'll never forget it, it's pointless us both going in. And I said, I know. And he turned around and ran off. <laughs> I was like, great. I just always remember looking down at his great big boots thinking, man, it's going to take you forever to get those off. <laughs> so anyway, I was really, I switched into my focus state and I, I just knew I had to go and get this girl. So uh, normally you would go out on a line and a harness, but I knew because I was very close to the pier, it was very dangerous to put a, a line on because I could get wrapped around in the, in the stanchion legs. So I ditched the line and I went for it. And as I stood there, just before I dove into the water, I started to pray. And I'd never prayed like this before. I'd never, ever felt the presence of the Lord before like I did. I remember just praying, Lord, it's you and me now, it's you and me. Lord, it's you and me now, it's you and me. And I know from my work, working with people who've been on the edge of life and death, not that I was thinking that at the time, this is a, a common experience of the intimacy that you feel with the Lord when you're in that moment. And it was amazing. I didn't really understand it because I'd never really felt it before, but it was amazing. So I dove into the waves, and the way you swim through these waves, because they're rollers, you dive in at a certain point, and the wave hopefully will take you around, and then you dive down again. So you use the wave action to actually help you get out to your casualty. And that's what I did. So I swam down about halfway down, and someone had actually thrown down a life belt on a rope, and I managed to grab the life belt, um, the sea was so strong, it had taken off my... my uh, fortunately, I had an all-in-one bathing suit on, but it had taken off my T-shirt. You know, it, this was a nasty, nasty um, ocean to swim in. But anyway, I was ha hanging on to uh, the life belt, 
And someone did actually shout down, I don't know what you're going to do, but the lifeboats can't launch. Now, we had two inshore lifeboats and an offshore lifeboat. The offshore lifeboat was allowed to launch. That was coming around. It would take 40 minutes to get to us. The helicopter, I know, would have been launched and what had been launched. Um, but the inshore lifeboats, which, again, I showed all my guys in the summer, were pretty big boats, but they weren't allow allowed to launch at that time. So as I was holding on to the belt, I just looked up, and then this girl just was thrown out of the water, and I let go of my belt because she landed face down. She was unconscious, and I went for her. I grabbed the girl underneath the arms, and I'll never forget, she had this big, thick, heavy jumper on, or sweater, as you call sweater, <laughs> not jumper. And I had hold of her, and I was trying to um, tow her, and basically, I was towing her away from the pier, away from that horrible parapet which you saw, out to sea, because that was the safest place to go, because I wasn't going to get smashed against anything, which is what happens when you're swimming in these waves. Unfortunately, just as we started to get free and away from the pier, uh, a, a wave, another wave came and smashed over us and pushed us right underneath the pier legs right into the narrow parts of the pier, which are pretty close together. They're called stanchions. And they're covered in barnacles, so you don't want to be smashing against them because they will rip you to shreds. So as we both got sucked under, um, the currents pulled us both under as well, and I lost her. So I was actually then fighting for my own life. Um, I popped up. Unfortunately, as I looked to the left, she popped up again. She was unconscious in the water so I just reached for her she wasn't too far away she's probably from where I am to Tanya I got her I think I grabbed her by the hair and then what I did was I swam um, through to the other side of the pier and then we were pushed being pushed out to sea I grabbed hold of her got her face out of the water and she was still breathing which was wonderful but you know what through this whole time I was praying that same prayer every, every single second. Lord, it's you and me now. It's you and me. People often ask me, how did you feel in that moment? I just said, you know what? I felt quite peaceful. I know it sounds really crazy, but I felt peaceful. As we went and we were pushed out to sea, and you'll see a picture of, of the end of the pier in a minute, I remember just feeling very exhausted, but I couldn't let go of this girl. I knew if I let go of her, she'd die. I just couldn't do it. So I kept hold of her. And then an amazing thing happened. So I don't know if you, if you remember when you were little and you went into the ocean and you just went out a little bit out of your depth and a wave came and it just took you up a bit. And then you felt your, your feet on the sandy floor of the ocean. Okay, that's exactly what I felt. But I was way out. I was way out to sea. And so what I did was, as soon as I felt this like firm kind of like feeling under my feet, I kind of used that to bounce back. I didn't swim, I bounced, right? I bounced back all the way, all the way back to the shore through those waves, keeping this girl with me. So... As I got to the shoreline, obviously emergency services were there, and there's a big crowd of people. They took this girl. She lived through it. She was fine. Um, and they took her to hospital. I would not go to hospital because I was good. 
And I went to the lifeboat base where I was debriefed. So I sat there with all the lifeboatmen. And uh, there was a silence. I remember that. There was a silence. And they said, Tracy, but how did you get back? How did you get back? And I explained this whole story to them. And they all sat there, nodding their heads. You speak to lifeboatmen. They know. They know the power of the Lord quite often. They've experienced things and seen things. It's pretty incredible. So the, the, the essence to that story is, and the reason why I'm sharing that testimony, is um, because that saved me. The Lord saved me that day. I'm a skeptical person. I like to uh, know and have proof. Even a week after that, even though I knew that I knew, I went with a tape measure. <laughs> And I walked on the pier and I was measuring because everyone said, it's too deep. You couldn't have felt the bottom. And I'm measuring. I'm like, you know. So there we go. And so what I want to talk to you and remind you of through that is just how important it is to dwell in the Lord. Dwelling in the Lord is, is amazing. You know, from that experience, it's, you know, it's a privilege and honor to save somebody's life. I'll never forget that moment. It really is. But what I came out of that experience with was an intimacy with the Lord that has never gone. My relationship with the Lord is so close. It enables me to work in a very challenging ministry, to go to, to places with people where other people struggle to go. I work in, in families where there's been suicides, murders, traumas. I can only do that because of him, because I never go alone. It's a wonderful thing. I'm very balanced. I'm very professional about it. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And also in my personal um, life, in my personal kind of healing and recovery, the Lord has healed many things. The Lord's amazing. He's an amazing Father that can give us many, many things. He can heal and redeem anything. He can change anything from something to something. Don't limit him. Through that rescue, one of my favorite verses um, that, that I kind of can really resonate with is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that just a beautiful, beautiful scripture? That was me when I was 20, short hair. <laughs> that was the end of the pier. So I got washed out right to the right-hand side of that. Okay, that just shows you and gives you more of a visual. I look really tough there, don't I? <laughs> I think I was actually trying not to laugh. It was one of those. <laughs> and this was the seeking helicopter and the offshore lifeboat that didn't come. <laughs> but it just gives you an idea. And I said yesterday when I was speaking about this, I was saying that we, do, we did used to do a lot of drills, you know, um, practices um, for events like this. But they always made me the body. So they chucked me out of the helicopter and I'd be floating around and the big dry suit on. But that day I wasn't the body. <laughs> and that's one of our, our um, 
cars. Now, as a result of my rescue, I was very honored to receive actually three commendations for bravery. Um, this was one of them. It was the, um, it was the award um, for gallantry and bravery um, that came from, from the Liverpool Shipwreck and Humane Society. And I received this medal in the House of Commons down in London. Just thought I'd give you a view inside, you know, a bit of England. And there we go, that's the, the House of Commons. So a, a lovely story about the real um, strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. I want to encourage you in that, all of you. You know what? We go through tough times. We go through storms. I lost my family as a child, and now I have a different family. And it's just a beautiful blessing to me. My husband, actually, um, just to share this with you just quickly, um, a recent storm that we're in as a family, even though I'm a trauma counselor, pizza doctor, you know, our ministry is to other people. Very sadly, my husband was diagnosed with cancer two years ago and was given not a great prognosis. So we're walking that journey. But what I can testify to, and he can testify to, and my kids, is just that, that presence of the Lord that gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And I speak that over all of you today. And especially over to those families that have lost loved ones. The Lord is with you. I want to remind you now just of this Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. Amen. I want to invite the band up now to uh, sing a, a beautiful song. Actually, my Canadian mama, who's sitting over there, the Lord has given me a lovely family. She loves this song. She said, Tracy, you've got to play this song. And I said, okay, I'll play this song. And it's just a reminder, it's just a reminder of, of us um, through anything that we're frightened of. You know, put those fears aside. We are children of God. He is there as a loving father that will carry us through and take us through anything that we're, we're faced with. Okay, so please, through this song, if you've got anything that's on your heart, then let go, push into him. Thank you.